Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 731 of the podcast and it is Saturday the 6th of January 2024 as I record this and we are into the new year which I am pretty excited about. In today's show I'm talking to Joe Solari about the next strategic step for your author journey. And we've split it into three things. So whether you are just starting out or if you're mid-list and want to grow or if you want to take an ambitious step forward, you'll find some new ideas here and lots of questions for you to think about. Plus, we talk all about author nation and the tickets are live for that as this goes out. I will hopefully have mine already. Right. So that's coming up in the interview section. Okay, in publishing and book marketing things, well, it is certainly publishing trends season. Lots of articles and episodes going on about that. So I'm going to share a few. First of all, Written Word Media post their top 10 trends for publishing in 2024, which includes the importance of quality books and author brand in terms of standing out, AI in book marketing, and the maturation of TikTok, which of course is the biggest AI-driven social commerce platform ever. Subscription models gain popularity and authors are refocusing on the long game, plus uh, lots of other trends there. So that's at writtenwordmedia.com, links in the show notes. Orna Ross published her indie author predictions for 2024 on the Alliance of Independent Authors blog. AI-assisted tools will proliferate and it will be easier than ever to produce books. So standards will rise and we'll all need to up our game. Also, Orna says, in a world where mechanistic text proliferates, what the marketeers call author branding will become ever more important to readers. Authors will have to think more critically about how they brand themselves as well as their books, as writers, publishers and as human beings. Savvy authors will offer more personalised content and books tailored to individual preferences. Instead of competing on price, authors who compete with their creativity are those who are going to do best in 2024 and beyond. And of course, Orna and I do discuss a lot of this and we're very excited by the possibilities of the creativity in this new world. Subscription models and direct-to-consumer sales will continue to rise, as well as crowdfunding. There will be more audio, as more authors embrace AI audiobook generation, and increased global reach will mean indie authors sell to more territories. And that is on the selfpublishingadvice.org blog. Links in the show notes. Then an interesting one from Kathleen Schmidt at Publishing Confidential, who offers her predictions. Now, this is her her post to more traditionally publishing focused. She's been in TradPub for over 25 years and her articles are always insightful and I don't always agree with them, which I think also brings another perspective. (laughs) But she says uh, she says a lot of interesting things. It's well worth reading. But this one, Goodreads further implodes. Now, I would have agreed with this, except for my 
testing with the generative search, which was in the episode a few episodes ago, generative AI search and how it's going to affect us. It was really interesting to see how important Goodreads is in the models um, as a data signal. So obviously Amazon bought it because of its data, but I now am not writing it off. I kind of stayed off Goodreads. Well, I've always had my books on Goodreads, but now I'm actually actively asking people to post reviews on Goodreads as well as on other stores and my own store because I think the data signals are good for the AI models and book discoverability and all that. So when she says Goodreads further implodes, there's always this controversy. There's always bad behaviour. There's always that. But that's just the froth. That's the frothiness on the top of a very deep ocean of data. So Goodreads is an ocean of data. So I do not think it's going to disappear. Kathleen also talks about the TikTok launching its publishing division. And that uh, started to happen last year. But she also says there'll probably be a bestseller list based on what's selling on TikTok. And also in general, bestseller lists will matter less as sales are so stratified into different platforms. She says the Wall Street Journal's bestseller lists are dead. The New York Times bestseller list is questionable. Many authors have written books that steadily sell without appearing on a bestseller list. Of course, books that are just on Amazon are a good example. So yes, I, I think it, it's, it's true this kind of bestseller list thing is becoming just so stratified as to be completely meaningless, but it still seems to be important in some ways. Uh, who knows? On AI, Kathleen says, AI can help with marketing copy, but can't replace creativity. Employees should be trained on how to use it ethically. AI is not going anywhere, so it is essential that publishing people fully understand it. So, and obviously, I think this too. I think AI for marketing is one of the ways you should definitely be using it, even if you disagree in the writing and creativity space. She also says the publishing industry should form a collective task force to sort out what needs to be done about AI, which I think is, I just think is highly unlikely for a start. But also given the speed of the AI industry, a collective task force in publishing is not going to move fast enough. I do think the OpenAI New York Times lawsuit will be settled for some kind of large sum. There will be a licensing deal and I think big publishing will do similar deals and everyone will just get on with using the new tools. It will be, you know, this is the beginning of like the internet age 20 odd years ago. This is the AI age and this is these are the first moves and uh, basically it will be the new architecture of the next two decades. So yeah, everyone will just get on with using it once it all shakes out. Kathleen also says social media will continue to fracture. She says, I spend a lot of time on threads and I like it. But book threads has reached a certain level of toxicity that has me questioning the platform's usefulness for authors. That was interesting to me. I also left threads quite quickly because it became so toxic. It was like a positive place for a couple of weeks <laughs> and then it spiraled the drain. So and as I've mentioned before, I'm kind of just I am I lurk on X, but I don't really do much else. She has lots of other things in this post, but one of the other interesting ones is self-publishing becomes more normalised. She says, we will see tremendous growth in self-publishing over the next five years. This is exciting to me because it allows for more creativity in the industry. And it's nice to hear someone so traditionally publishing focused being so positive about going indie for a change. 
<laughs> so those are some uh, interesting trends. Also in the AI and futurist side of things, the MIT Technology Review did a trends post on what's next for AI. They include customised chatbots, fine-tuned on specific sets of data for specific situations. And also OpenAI is getting ready to launch their GPT store. And I have made my Joanna Penbot ready to go in it. So thecreativepen.com forward slash Jobot, J-O-B-O-T, thecreativepen.com forward slash Jobot. It is trained on my Joanna Pen books. Uh, not the podcast, as that has mixed copyright, but my um, Joanna Penn books that are re- written just by me. I haven't even done it with the co-written books. Um, I have fine-tuned that GPT. Um, so you can check that out. It's like a personal author coach. Uh, you can ask it for advice on writing or publishing or marketing or uh, any anything to do with the writing life, really. And it has been, as I said, fine-tuned on my books. So that's thecreativepen.com forward slash Jobot. Also, MIT predicted the next wave of generative AI will be video. And in fact, Midjourney announced uh, this week they're getting into video and there are so many tools. Um, a friend shared Hey Gen with me this week and it was scary good. <laughs> So yes, I think it's really important that everybody knows that AI video is getting very, very good and easy to use because it's an election year. (laughs) So also I told my mum at Christmas, I was like, mum, you mustn't, mustn't believe if you get sent a video or an audio of me, uh, don't believe it if it says transfer money into this bank account (laughs) because it's much easier to fake now. Um, But yes, I am excited about video. Like everything, these dual use technologies, they're amazingly creative and wonderful and also uh, pretty scary in many ways. But my books are so visual. And years ago, I tried doing book trailers. They were so hard. You had to buy all these different stock things. You had to edit it together. You had to find all the music. It was a very pretty expensive and long process. And now, of course, we are going to be able to make videos much easier for our fiction. And I'm super excited about that. Also, the nonfiction, again, if I do use an AI voice or video, I will tell you. So I'll say, this is AI Joe, rather than this is Joe. I, I did write it off, but now having seen what Hey Jen can do and the fact that I really hate doing video, <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I am starting to do more video for my patrons. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. What else? Uh, Mark Williams on the new publishing standard wrote an article this week called Business as Usual is Not an Option. He says... The publishing industry can no more put the AI genie back in the bottle than it could the paperback genie, the word processor genie, the email submissions genie, the social media genie, the self-publishing genie, the subscription genie and the genies for every other industry development that has been fought tooth and nail while screaming the sky is falling before slow but inevitable acceptance and even slower embrace. (laughs) It's a really, it's a good article. I like Mark Williams a lot. He lives in, uh, I don't know him, (laughs) but I I like his angle. He lives in uh, Africa and uh, he, so he comes from this completely different angle of the world. Um, His 
site is thenewpublishingstandard.com and he often has some quite pithy comments on things. He references the photography industry in this quite long article, which has been disrupted multiple times. Obviously, digital cameras came first, which made it much easier than smartphones, (laughs) which made it very easy to take photos. The barrier to entry for photography fell. Experts still had these other tools that they used to make their images better than the average person. But with AI, he says... AI tech makes some of the work that used to require specialised software and expertise trivial. It's a complete game changer. We completely need to revisit our technological stack because it's obsolete. And I wanted to pull out that phrase because with AI, I am revisiting my technological stack, but also my process stack. And and this is a kind of, you know, the stack idea is here are all the different tools I use. Um, what are the things that we can use the new tools for. So, uh, you know, for example, I used to buy stock photos. I had subscriptions to stock photo sites. Now I use ChatGPT with Dali or Midjourney to generate my own images to my specifications. And I really enjoy, I actually really enjoy that. I do feel like it's a creative, fun game in the same way that I take photos and I'm going to make photo books. And I am, I'm pretty passionate about architectural photography, actually. Uh, More to come on that, hence the Gothic Cathedral project. But um, that's one example. Also, I used to pay a human audio engineer to master my audiobook files. So I did all the editing. And then it was just that last step to turn uh, my file into a file that would be accepted by ACX. And now I just use Hindenburg, and it just outputs a file. And again, We have to, and some people say, oh, no, no, you should still pay a human. And I'm like, well, really? I still pay humans for the things that I need humans for. I still pay my editor. I still pay my cover designer, even though I'm giving Jane AI uh, pictures. She still does my cover design and uh, my editor. I can't see myself replacing Kristen with an AI, although I use ChatGPT um, to help me with, like, how do I make this scene more uh, mysterious or how can I make this character more emotional? Or So I use it that way and I use ProWritingAid, but... Kristen, as my human editor, has a whole view of the whole process, the whole manuscript, I mean. So this revisiting of the technological stack and the process stack, if you haven't done that yet, it might be time to do that. I mean, Jonathan and I had a chat this morning about what is the best tool right now for turning audio into text. There are tons and tons and tons of them emerging all the time. I'm I'm using Descript. I also use otter.ai for some things when I'm co-working. Um, I use, uh, what else do I use? I mean, but you can use Whisper with ChatGPT. There's so many options now. So if you're like, okay, there's this thing that takes me this much time, find a tool that will help you do it faster. That That is going to be the challenge this year. And also you'll need to replace them faster than before. So I I just try different things and see if it's more useful and then go with that. Mark ends this article. He says, for publishing, the real revolution is going to happen at the front end with creativity and delivery to consumers. And here the industry is about as unsettled as an industry can get. There are clearly issues of copyright at stake and permissions and compensation issues need to be resolved But the pace will be driven by AI, not by corporate CEOs with vested interests in the status quo. AI is not a threat. It is a tool that can be used or misused like any other. But it is not a tool like any other. 
AI is not a slowly evolving tool that we can spend years honing our skills on before moving to the next level. AI's evolution is happening so fast that there are new developments literally every day. New opportunities literally every day. New ways of doing things. New ways of thinking about things. No, this is not the publishing industry's comfort zone. But business as usual is not an option. So yes, that is at the new publishing standard. And I mean, you probably noticed I'm I'm just I'm going to get a bit more hardcore this year. I think last year was the sort of gently, gently, big toe in nicely, nicely this year. <laughs> you have to get into it. And if you're not interested, you won't be listening to my show. I, I kind of feel like that's the way forward now. I'm also so encouraged by how many people are joining the Patreon to see the sort of behind the scenes videos and stuff. So yeah, I think I'm going to be a little more open with my stance this year. So in personal news, uh, this week I have started rewriting my author blueprint, which is only available if you sign up uh, to my email list, thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. It's not available yet, this new version, you'll get the old version. But since 2008, I wrote the first edition basically in 2008. And since then, I have edited that version, tweaking it over time, adding new sections. And it's a pretty big book at this point. It is a sort of lots of things about writing, publishing, marketing, business. Um, but now I'm, I looked at it and I started editing it and then I just decided, no, I have to rewrite this from scratch. <laughs> and I have actually booked Kristen, my editor, to read it. So it's going to take a bit longer. Um, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm almost resetting the whole thing and it will be a, I mean, it's my version of a blueprint. Obviously, there are so many different ways to go forwards, but I hope it's going to be super useful. Uh, I hope to have that out in mid-February. And as I said, it will only be for those on my email list. It's not going to be published because I will still, I'll use that then and that will be the one I update over time. I also this week recorded Beneath the Zoo as an audiobook. So that is my short story, Beneath the Zoo, which I wrote just before Christmas. That is out now on my store, jfpenbooks.com and coming in the next few weeks to all the usual audio places. It is not, uh, someone asked me if it was in paperback. It's not because it's a short story. I'm planning on doing a short story collection in 2025 next year or the year after, depending on how many stories I have. <laughs> but then I will do a paperback edition, which, and it will, this one will definitely be in there because it's an emotional story, but it's also uh, quite creepy. <laughs> I like it. I enjoyed reading it, actually. Also, I've been a book recommendation this week. I'm listening to this on uh, on Spotify audio, actually. Uh, it's called The Comfort Crisis. Embrace Discomfort to Reclaim Your Wild, Happy, Healthy Self by Michael Easter. Now, it's I, I kind of I can't remember how I heard of this book, but uh, it's a very different experience to The Comfort Book. So this book that I'm now listening to is The Comfort Crisis. And last week I recommended The Comfort Book by Matt Haig. <laughs> Now, the comfort book by Matt Haig is the kind of, oh, it's okay, self-care, let's look after you. If you're feeling bad, let's all be nice. And sometimes we need that, right? That was my last week in December. I really needed that. And then this week, the first week of January, I'm into the comfort crisis, which is let's get out there. Let's challenge ourselves. Let's push ourselves. Uh, let's work harder. Obviously, I've been back on my lifting and um, actually I've got some uh, some muscle um, I don't like to call it pain. Let's call it sensation, muscle sensation. 
after yesterday's weight session. Uh, so yes, the challenge, embracing discomfort. It's a very interesting book. I'm enjoying it a lot. So yes, enough self-care. Let's get after it. <laughs> and getting after it is um, from Jocko Willink, uh, which I, I don't listen to Jocko, but Jonathan does. And so I know a lot about him. <laughs> so yes, Jocko, uh, Jocko podcast is the one to listen to if you want to get after it. Um, right. So back into, yes. And also it links to the interview with Joe Solari, which is coming up. Joe says in the interview, success comes from an uncomfortable place. This isn't going to be easy for a lot of people and it shouldn't be because great things can come out of being uncomfortable. So that that's the question for you this week, I guess. How can you expand your comfort zone this year? How you How can you be more uncomfortable, which will push yourself, whether that's physically, mentally, spiritually, however you want to do it. That particular quote comes from me saying, Vegas is a really hard place for introverts. And that's what was his answer. And I totally agree with it. I think we do need to push ourselves. Self-care is important sometimes. And then we need to push the comfort zone. So yeah, it's about getting the balance though, isn't it? (laughs) It's always tough. Right. Thanks for your emails and comments this week. There have been lots and lots of responses to the New Year episode, but I'm just going to read uh, a few things that I I like this week. First of all, thanks to Holger, who took the lighthouse quote from last week and the discussion turned it into a downloadable strategy image that you can scribble on with your harbour as the place to nurture your customers, your lighthouse as the main way to attract customers and your various signals are further out. You can download Holger's template without an email sign up. Um, I made a short link, thecreativepen.com forward slash lighthouse. That's thecreativepen.com forward slash lighthouse. And it is a great example of creativity in action. Of course, creativity is often sort of combining things from that we ingest and turning it into something new. And for this one, I read a quote from Anne Lamott about the lighthouse in a, in that comfort book by Matt Haig. I talked about it here on the podcast. Holger listened and made um, thought about it and made this wonderful actionable strategy template. I love that. That is exactly how passing ideas along works. Also, two funny little things uh, at Snowflake eleven twenty five on um, YouTube said. I want to share a funny story. I listened to your podcast on Alexa while I cook dinner. The other day I asked my daughter, can you grab me a pen? And she said, that's pen with a double N. And here's the show with a British accent. (laughs) We're American. And she ran to the other room to find a pen. So hello to, uh, you didn't give your name at all, but hello and hello to your daughter. I love that. (laughs) My evil plan to put my brand all over the world is clearly, clearly working. And then David shared, uh, every time I ask Alexa to play the Creative Pen podcast, she tells me the episode and always says, Joanna, Pennsylvania. (laughs) And I smile. I'm in Florida, but was born in Pennsylvania. That made me laugh too. (laughs) Ah, really good stuff. Uh, Also, just a nice comment from eCare Books saying, there's just something reassuring about your podcast, Joanna. Thank you. Oh, and I appreciate that because I do try. I know I probably push things sometimes, but I feel like that's my job is to slightly push your comfort zone into the future. So when you have to deal with stuff, you you have less anxiety because I have already pushed you. 
Right, you can leave a comment on the show notes at thecreativepen.com or on the YouTube channel or email me, send me pictures of where you're listening. I love to see where you are in the world or hear about it. Uh, Joanna at The Creative Pen if you want to email me. Please don't message me on social media. Right, so today's episode is sponsored by Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors and their team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help you reach new readers around the world. Did you know you can publish an audiobook right in your Kobo Writing Life account? It's as easy as publishing an ebook. You can create a customizable table of content, set the price in 16 different currencies, and even set up a pre-order for your audiobook with no date limitation. You can also add your audiobook to Kobo Plus, Kobo's non-exclusive subscription platform. There are lots of promotional opportunities for audiobooks published through Kobo Writing Life. They even have customizable social assets that you can download to share on Facebook, X and Instagram, making it even easier for you to reach this growing market. Also, I should say, they do accept AI audiobooks as long as the experience is good for the listener. If you're a KWL author and don't yet have access to the audiobooks tab or the promotional email list, email the team at writinglifeatkobo.com and they'll hook you up. That's writinglifeatkobo.com. Don't forget, you can purchase audiobooks at Kobo and they will download directly to your free Kobo app or your e-reader. If you want to learn more about KWL, check out the Kobo Writing Life podcast, available wherever you get your shows, wherever you're listening to this, and find them on social. Create your free account today at kobo.com forward slash writing life. On a personal note, I've been using Kobo for over a decade, and they play an important part in my wide publishing ecosystem. They reach the most countries in the world, and I have sold books in 176 countries through Kobo. This type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing, but my time in creating the show is sponsored by my community at patreon.com forward slash the creative pen. The community has grown by another 59 people this week. I am so encouraged by how many of you are interested in joining the community. So thanks to all the new patrons, as well as everyone who's been supporting for months and years. You're amazing. This week, I put out a video on mindset, five tips on how to deal with stress, overwhelm, anxiety, and generally when things get difficult. Yes, that's the self-care piece. (laughs) If you join the community, you get that and all the backlist videos and audio. This week, actually, talking of KWL, I have a video discussion with Tara Kremen from KWL, which uh, where we go through all the KWL screens, we go through the features and the promotions tab. As a patron, you get access to everything, uh, including the monthly Q&A where you can ask your questions. It's like an extra solo show a month. You also get the backlist of many more Q&A episodes, as well as behind the scenes on AI tool demos and more. The Patreon is a monthly subscription, about a black coffee a month, or a couple of coffees if you're feeling generous. So if you feel you get value from the show and you want more, come on over and join more than 950 authors. Thanks to all the patrons, and you can join us at patreon.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. Joe Solari helps authors build great businesses through books, courses, podcasting, as well as strategy and operations consulting. 
He's also the managing partner of Author Ventures, which organizes Author Nation, coming to Las Vegas in November 2024. So welcome back to the show, Joe. Thanks for having me back, Joanna. This is awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. Now, this is going out as the first interview episode of 2024. So we're going to start with business strategy for authors who want to have a successful year because you're so good at this. And there's always so much to do as an author. So we're going to sort of break it down. So first of all, for a new author who is just starting out, maybe they have one or two books, they might just even be writing their first book. So what are your tips for them? Sure, sure. So I think there's also those that haven't even written a book, right? This is, this may be the year that first book comes out. And I think that for all those people, having a budget is really critical. Understanding the money it's going to cost and time, uh, what it's going to be to get you to that first book and to the point of profitability. So that might be thinking all the way through, say, the next three years. It's a plan. It's not carved in stone, but just by doing that, you're going to have a better idea of your overall costs that you're going to need to have, and you're going to have something to measure yourself off of. So when there is like, I've never had a plan go 100%, right? It's mm. it, it's really when you do find that things aren't going the way you thought they were, you can go back and look at that and figure out like how far off the rails are you? What could be causing that? And get yourself adjusted. And sometimes that adjustment is, oh, there's this really great opportunity that's presented itself that is better than my plan. And when I evaluate this opportunity against my plan, I should adjust to this, right? Mm. But if you don't have that plan, then you could go all over the place. Everything looks better than your non-existent plan. So... Yeah. I love that actually, because I, a lot of people ask me this question and I think understanding it in terms of budget of money and time and time in particular at this point in an author journey, because I feel like so many people have all their questions about how do I get published or how do I publish a book and how do I market a book? And then you're like, so have you finished a book? And often they haven't. So, (laughs) I mean, if people, people only have a certain amount of time to budget for this whole year. So what are the things that they should put into that time bucket and also I guess that money bucket as well when they're just starting out. Yeah, and I think the two are intertwined because you know, you you've been around this a while so you've seen that there tends to be the sense of urgency to get the books published. Like if I get them out in the market then they're going to they're going to sell and I'm going to know something, which is true, but you could you could publish too quickly. You know, if mm. you're writing certain genres where part of what you have to deliver to the market is a reliability of production, right? So certain genres, it's not just about putting out a book. It's about putting out books in a series. And if you don't do that, then you're going to be disappointed in the results. You'll be like, I put this first book out and nothing happened. It's well, you're writing an epic fantasy. People just don't even, you know, I've, I've actually had this conversation with authors writing epic fantasy and they'll be like, yeah, as a reader, I don't even pick up a series until I know there's three books in it. Yeah. And yet, yet so their, their series is going to be different. It's going to be magical. Somebody's going to start, everyone's going to start buying book one. So they have the money to do book two. And it's like, no, it, understanding that this is a startup business with an unproven product or a recently brought to market product. And you have to build up trust uh, with your audience that you are going to deliver. Unfortunately, 
authors have brought this upon themselves in that a lot of unfinished series have left readers cautious, right? And either that's because you're just taking too long, you're taking longer to write than you expected, or from a financial perspective, I'll be one of the first people to say, hey, listen, this series is a dud. Cut your cut your losses and move on to the next thing, right? Well, what happens when we do that? Well, you cut your financial losses, but you've just left some people that have bought those books with an unfinished product. Like there, There's a cost to that. And we have to understand those are the conditions in the market. So back to the question being like, make sure you've planned through those things that need to happen and you understand the time and money component because maybe what it means is you you take a little longer to publish like maybe you don't drop that first book as soon as you thought because you're waiting to save up money to do this or you're waiting to get more of those books done so that when they do come out they're coming out closer together and also in those earlier days i spent much more on editors several different types of editors because i was learning so much even if you're good at one genre or say you you can write non-fiction and then you decide to get into fiction or a specific genre uh, so i definitely spent more of my time and money in those early books sort of on i guess the quality side and the craft side and funnily For enough sure. even though you know i have no patience i did publish my first novel after finishing it although that did take 14 months and then i was after three books i did rewrite them <laughs> <laughs> so so you can do these things in different ways but i think you're right about that and thinking about money and time and a budget from day 1 I don't know. Do you think that's normal? I, I feel like many new authors, they're not even thinking that way. They're probably still of the mindset of if I just write one book, I can sell it, get a massive deal and retire. <laughs> yeah, I think that this is kind of a small business thing, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of entrepreneurs come into this with a lot of passion and a lot of grit and they're just going to do it, right? Like I'm going to make this happen. They never stop to think about like, okay, what can I do? You know, there's millions of people before me that have done this and have succeeded and and failed, right? And what are the things that the people that have succeeded done? Well, they've been a little more thoughtful, right? They They've planned better. You brought up a really great point about in that beginning book, that time that you need to kind of get your developmental edits and find your voice and really get an understanding of the craft, you know, that's important. If that takes 14 months and that first book that you embrace that, right. And you think about like, Hey, I'm spending a lot of money on this developmental editor. I want two things to come out of it. I want a really good book to come out of it. And I want to learn so that next time I don't have to have that level of coaching that it becomes part of my skill set. And when you start to think about how all those parts become their, their business processes, right? For the product that's coming out. How can I, as the creator, be more efficient in my book production, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when you start thinking things that way, you, you start to be a little more gentle with yourself and not put yourself under that pressure that comes with that impatience of wanting to see the book in the market. Now, the flip side is, you can't do that for 10 years. Right? Like <laughs> yeah. You have to understand that you need to get a market, you need to get a book into the market. You need to at some point get that those first products out there 
And I've yet to meet an author that's like, yeah, I got it right the first time. Like (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Most of us go back and read that, those books, you know, our future selves go back and read those books and are like, oh boy, what was I thinking? Mm, but they're such an important part of the process and you only learn by doing that. So I know some people listening will be like, oh, well, then I, I can't publish until everything is perfect. And like you said, you, you, if you wait 10 years, you're, you're going to miss out on learning from each book. So, yes, definitely thinking about quality, taking a bit more time. But let's move on to the mid list, I suppose, the mid list indie author who might be making, let's say, around a thousand dollars a month, which is fine, <laughs> but it's not going to necessarily change anyone's life. And that author is often frustrated by not being able to make a dent in the market or sell enough books or move to the next level. So what should they focus on in 2024? Yeah, I I think that what the great thing is, is they've proven that there is a market out there for their books, right? Like the product's tested. Now I think what it becomes is, and this is hard for a lot of authors, is focusing in on the audience and building a community. You know, if you've looked at any of the stuff that I focus on with my books advantage or attention. It's there's this really important function of readers connecting their identity with your story world and your characters. And that takes effort. And it's not just by running ads. It's about really understanding what your brand represents in the marketplace, what that, what the feels are, right? Like what is it that makes someone want to read this book and be in that world. And the more you think about that and you start to bleed your imagination and your creativity that's going into the books, into your marketing to represent that, it becomes easier for a potential reader to see that, right? If if more of your marketing feels like your books, then it's like, oh, well, I like the way this ad reads. It makes me think this would be a good book. I land on your website and I get some really good confirmation of that, then it's going to make it so it's easier for me to trust your brand and pick that book up. And of course, brand is really, really hard. (laughs) It is. It's super hard. And here's the crazy thing is, is that there's a lot of people that buy your book and never read it, Mm. right? Because the real cost that we have to understand is that precious reading time. Everyone's got limited amount of time in their life. And when they decide that they are going to take that reading, what do they choose to do? Do they choose to go back to a book they've already read because they know how it feels? Or do they take the risk on reading your book? And we're in a world now, this kind of Netflix world, where if you don't get me right away, well, then I'll just stop and go do something else. Yeah. And I think the branding thing is interesting in that it's almost like the promise to the reader. And you do get a couple of chances. Like there are authors who I'm a fan of the author and I will try their book. And I mean, like I came to you through, I guess, probably through an interview on a podcast. And then I I read, I bought your book, one of your books, Direct Advantage, I think. And Mm -hmm. then I got on your email list. And now I've obviously, I've heard you speak in person. We've met. And for all these things, I get a sense of who Joe Solari is. And so as a nonfiction author, I will trust you enough to buy 
your next book and um, because un- under that name and mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's something that building that trust we do that like you mentioned through these different ways and then people will trust that we will deliver on that promise next time so I guess that's another thing about brand is it, it does all have to resonate with the reader yeah you've really put that in a succinct way using me as an example it's just shifting it a bit for fiction or, you know, not like nonfiction. I think you've really laid it out cleanly and I practice those principles. It's in essence, what it boils down to. I don't want to have to sell you. I want you to buy. I want you to buy when you're ready. And if that's the minute you see an ad and you click through and you're like, it all makes sense and you want to buy, God bless, do it. If it takes you nine months I need to have a place and a way for you to to sell yourself, right? And I, I think that we're in a world today where people are curious. And if you give them a way to do that, that's fun and on brand, a, a lot of your customers will nurture themselves to that point of trust and like. But most book marketing that I observe today doesn't do that. Yes. And it focuses on the short term, whereas I know what you teach and also I guess what what I do too is the more long-term perspective. And I I guess it is if for that mid-list author who's making their thousand dollars a month, what they need to focus on is building the brand, building out that ecosystem with more products, but I guess products that are related to their brand and their promise to the reader. But I feel like so many of those authors are just like, oh, I must just do more ads, but that's not necessarily the, the answer. No, because advertisement's about discovery and visibility, right? So what do I want them to discover? What do I want them to to have visibility on? And I talk about this quite a bit is 15% of the market is that one-click voracious buyer. That means the other 85% of the market, if I don't have a system in place, if I'm just, my ads just go to a sales page and my expectation is you're only choices for me, for you to buy my book or leave, then I'm leaving 85% of the market underserved or not served. So how do I serve that? Well, what if a portion of your advertising budget was just bringing somebody to your website and giving that, you know, and you're like, Hey, let's get to know each other, right? Like an ad that makes them curious about, Oh, if you like urban fantasy, I'd like to talk to you about urban fantasy. And you're like, I do like urban fantasy. So I go there and it's like, oh, this is an author I haven't heard of. And there's some really interesting things here that seem to be like kind of the books that I like. And they're giving me some easy ways to access their writing right there on the page. It's not opt-in or any of that stuff. It's really like, how are you giving them your 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 story and your reading voice as easy as possible so that they can start to form an opinion on whether you're right or not? Now, some people are going to be like, this isn't my thing. That's okay. That was the purpose is to sort out the ones that you want that are and those that aren't. And so that's a different type of marketing and you don't hear about that. I think you're hearing about it more and more now, but certainly a few years ago, nobody was talking about that. Okay. So that's that mid-list author. I guess we're saying build the brand and learn to nurture audiences more. Mm -hmm. So let's move into the six-figure author. 
who wants to get to multi six figures and take that next jump. So this is the ambitious author. They're already doing well, but they want to move to the next level. What about them? What should they be doing? Yeah. So I, I, first thing I would do is I would challenge them with this question is what is their best life through writing? Put the numbers aside. What does your best life look like in writing? What are you doing? What's happening in, in days? What, who are you spending your time with? What's going on in your life? And the reason I asked that question of them is because more often than not, the money you need to have that best life is a lot less than you think it is. It doesn't have to be seven figures. It doesn't have to be eight figures. And I, I do this because I've worked with a lot of authors that have have chased those monetary goals and they tend to be pretty hollow and it doesn't get better, right? It, it You grow your business to seven figures and now you have a larger, more demanding audience you have probably more staff now to do things that you're now responsible for making that payroll. There becomes a lot more pressure on you as an author. And is that really your best life? Because I've observed that people that have gotten to that point, a lot of times they tend to tone it down and they go to a lower number. Still, It's probably still multiple six figures, but they're tuning their career into what they want it to be. And they're not becoming a slave to their business. I knew I liked you. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, this is absolutely, I totally agree with this. Um, And I actually have on my wall, I want to write the books I want when I want and travel where I want when I want. And there's pictures of me with my husband traveling in different places. And it's like, there's no number on my wall. (laughs) Yeah. See, what you just described is true financial freedom. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. People think that financial freedom comes from having a bunch of money in your bank account. It's, It's true to some extent, right? But it's like, to be at a point where it's like, you know what? I've got this, this book. It's going to be a really good book. And I could write it or I don't have to write it. It doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. That's versus maybe earlier on your career is like, because the way you were building your career, well, I have to put out a book every five weeks because that's how I'm building my career. You're not financially free. You're building a business. You're doing the things the business demands of you, the things that the market demands of you. But you get to a point of where you do have financial freedom, where you can say, you know what? I've been crafting my business in a way where now after a couple of years, I write two books a year and my fans are happy with that. And I produce a better book and I get to do the things I want in my life. That could be just hiking with your dogs or traveling with your husband. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, this is at the point where I am pretty secure in my career. But a few years ago, I did look at this and I did some research into stepping up to a seven figure business from a multi six figure business. And it was like, I do need staff. You mentioned staff. And this is a huge thing that I don't know if people really realize, which is to get to a certain number, you actually need people to help you in a much bigger team. And like you said, do payroll and all that. And I decided for me, that was not the business I wanted. I'm a solopreneur. So I'm the only employee in my business. I'm a creative first. I don't want to run a big company. And that is a mindset 
a mindset I decided on. Whereas, I mean, you are an entrepreneur in that you start businesses, you work with people, you do collaborations, you have employees, you do much bigger projects. So I feel like those they're quite different mindsets. And do you think that's a, like a personality difference or just a choice? I think it's a choice. I think it, and I can just speak for myself. I, before getting the book publishing business, I was in the oil and gas industry. We've talked about this and we had 35 employees and we had HR and just, and I, I, I make a lot of like, swear I'm never going to do things statements that come back and bite me later. And this was another one of them is like, I'm never having any more employees. Like anything I do from this point forward, it's just going to be me and Sue's, right? Like that's it. I'm done with people. And now I'm getting into a new venture where I'm going to be managing a team because I know having a team makes the difference. Mm -hmm. So I think it has to be like when you decide you're going to do something, you have to understand the ramifications of that decision. And I've seen several successful authors transition where they're like, hey, I started out as a solo author. I made a decision I wanted to get into publishing other authors. So they scaled that up and they dealt with serving other authors, as well as having a team that they had to manage. And then they got to another point in their life where they're like, Hey, this is good and it's successful and I'm making money, but I'm not, this isn't my best life. I would like to write more books and manage less people. And they transition out of that. And as as long as you do all of those things, well, it, it doesn't matter which one, like you should never think your business, because it's just, this is one thing I know for sure. You're your business is going to change, right? Mm. Because you're going to change. The the needs are going to change. You know, if you think things are immutable and this is, and be rigid in how things are going to be, then you won't adapt. And so I, I think when you're up at that level of this kind of success, we're talking multiple six figures is like, you've got a brand, you've got customers. As long as you keep delivering product to those people and serving those customers, you're going to have a good business. How you do that, like if you decide, oh, I want to co-write and you shift to do that and that doesn't necessarily work out and you shift to something else, that's okay. Be gentle with yourself around that stuff. There isn't one way to do this. And understand that over time, you're going to mature and what used to be fun and interesting and cool, you decide, I don't want to do anymore. It's okay. Like Again, that gets back to financial freedom, right? Mm. Yeah, and I think that's good. So I think what we're saying is when you're deciding on your next step, really look at what it's going to take to get to that next level and whether you really want that. And then if you do really want that, maybe find some people to model in terms of how different businesses are going. Because that's the other thing. Like you said, some people publish others, some people get into co-writing, some people start author services businesses, training. There's all kinds of other ways to make money and to scale things. But you have to decide what you really want, basically. Yeah. And one other thing is if you are emulating somebody else, if you think somebody has got like the, it's working a certain way, get time with that person and ask them, is it really working? Like, help me understand. Because we tend to think the grass is always greener. And you don't understand that, oh, well, this person's running a publishing business. And you, th- you think, oh, it's got to be easier because they have all those other people writing. It's like, well, it, when those work out, that there's that extra revenue, but you're also choosing to manage authors. Like, 
is that a skill set you have is project management and running a publishing company. It, it, it's not easy. It's really hard, right? And authors and, are a nightmare. I mean, oh, on. they're so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like they're creatives, right? Like, and so you're getting into a whole nother thing where like you're risking your money on other people's creative abilities. And, mm-hmm. and that's almost speculation, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So for all of these different authors, I mean, you mentioned change there. So change is a big thing that's happening. But also, I think community and learning new things are really important. And so let's come to Author Nation, because one of the big changes for you this year in 2024 is Author Nation. So tell us what it is and why you have taken on this challenge. Sure. So Author Nation is the largest indie author conference in the world. What I did is I took over the financial liability of contracts from Caesars Palace from Craig Martell Incorporated. So those contracts used to be what 20 Books Vegas was using for where they were holding their show. Michael and Craig chose to end the 20 Books Vegas show. And those contracts, Craig was still on the hook for the next three years So I took over those contracts and have designed with our team a a new conference. So part of why I explain it that way is I want there to be clarity that this isn't 20 Books 2.0. Do we have some of our DNA from that show? Yes, we do. But it's not the same management company. It's a completely different thing. Now, why did I do this? Well, some of the most important relationships in my life today, certainly some of my business relationships today all stemmed from that show and the networking that happened around it. And it was important for me to make sure that that continued on into the future, that there would be a place for authors that are just getting started to come and connect with their tribe and have a place where they could get information to get them up the learning curve faster. Yes. And it's really funny because I came to 20 Books Vegas in 2023 uh, as the last 20 Books Vegas. And I was like, <laughs> I'll never come to this city again. And I was determined and I was watching the final session and which is, of course, you were on stage. And I was like, I'm not coming again. I'm not coming again. And then you unveiled Author Nation and uh, the lovely logo. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. It's genius. And I mean, you talk, talk about branding and you totally got me because then I was like, hell yeah, I want to be part of Author Nation. It just, it spoke to me as an individual. And I presume, I mean, it, you are very good at branding. So tell us, like, how did you come up with that? Because it was not what we expected. And what is the vision for it? Because it is a big brand. <laughs> yeah. And so part of this thing for me, this gets back to your best life. and. That comes in two facets for me, for me, right? Like, and Sue is my wife who's, she's half owner of this thing, right? We made this decision at this point in our life to do this. I consider myself a creative and my medium is businesses. And this to me seemed like a really fun, exciting thing to do with cool people in, and it really fits something I wanted to do right now. So like from a selfish perspective, this while this is going to consume a lot of time, it already has consumed a lot of time. I love doing this kind of stuff and I feel like I'm really good at it. So this brings me joy. 
the next part of this thing was, is like seeing what the community needs. I think we're at a point where it was a natural thing to have happen is a show like 20 books Vegas to stop happening. And there being something new that kind of, that came to replace it, that shows that I think the whole industry is in a, a massive transition. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of things that are happening that are disrupting it. And for me, the core of all of this, like what, what makes the magic happen when there is all these crazy things pulling us in different directions is how do we have a community? Like how do we connect with the people that we serve and whether that's our readers or with our network of support, other authors? Well, I think that makes it really simple to understand what Author Nation is about. It's that, that we're going to create a physical live presence for that to happen. Mm. So what can people expect then because I guess there's speculation around will it still have author training so will people be able to go to seminars and have training or is it also going to have sort of a focus on readers give us a bit of an idea of what might happen sure sure so first off when I ever look at this I like to have key performance indicators or KPIs so we have three KPIs that we're going to be focusing on at the show Number one is if we take the authors that come to Author Nation, the demographics are about 12% have never published. So if we take those people and we measure, we survey them nine months after attending, what percentage is published? Right. So how can we help the people at that, that, that step that we all have to go through, which is get a book into the marketplace? How do we help them do that? How do we measure it to show that we're actually doing our job? Right. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. The next thing is, uh, and this kind of gets back to your initial kind of business questions too. Like, this is how I think is like, how many people come to the show that aren't making money? Like they've published, but they're not, they haven't become profitable yet. How many after nine months can we get to break even? Right. And then I'll get to the third KPI later. But on those two, then that says, okay, well, how do we structure that show in a way that does these things? Right. So we're still going to follow a similar structure in the sense of Monday will be an industry expo day where we're going to be exposing authors to all the people that service the industry. We're going to have a table set up and booze and we're going to be doing a little bit differently, but the idea is the same. And this is where people are going to get more exposure to those folks that are there to serve us. Tuesday through Thursday will be the author education piece where, you know, you're going to be around your tribe of authors. You can let your hair down. There's not going to be readers there. We're going to be focusing on tracks and across domains how to help people do the two things that I have a KPI on. And then the third one is this, how to figure out what your best life is and live it, right? Rather than in the past, you know, a lot of shows and particularly 20 books really celebrated monetary success. We're going to be very focused on what's your best life. And that can be done several ways and doesn't necessarily have to be about a financial number. So those are going to be how those tracks are laid out. Mm. So for the people who do want to take it up a level, so for me, for example, it's very rare for me to go to conferences and feel like I've really learned 
a lot in terms of author specific conferences. And yet when I came to 20 Books Vegas, I was like, oh, it's worth it for me just to learn from these other people about these other things. So will there be enough for the people like me who are kind of more advanced in the author business? Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that has been a struggle and is a struggle for most shows because it's just the curve of the market. There's always going to be a larger amount of people that are not making as much money or just getting started as there is this group of people that are successful and are looking for what to do next. So how do we do that? Well, one thing that we've done is we've created a programming committee. The chairperson is Shell Honecker, who's the publisher of Indie Author Magazine and an author. And we've purposely built out a team with people that are not focused just on KU and Amazon. So I mean, you're friends with Jay Thorne. Jay is who his first time ever being at 20 books was this year. Jay and I have known each other for years. Jay's coming on and you know Jay enough to know that he kind of is goes to the beat of his own drum. He hasn't mm. been somebody focused on any of the hyped up things. We've brought in people from the wide for the win group. So the idea is, is that we have to create an environment where we're the facilitator for conversations, sometimes really difficult conversations. We are going to provide within that track system, very clear delineation. Now it's your money. If you come here and you decide to go for lack of better terms, off track and do other stuff, go ahead. But there's going to be a clarity and for somebody like you is like, what are the things you're looking to make decisions about going forward? Are you trying to explore a Kickstarter strategy? Well then go to these four sessions. Mm. Are you trying to think through how you get into merchandising? We'll go to this session. So the idea being is we know that we have to be providing content across all of those levels of, uh, success. I think that's great. And I mean, this year, or I say this year, we're recording it at the end of the year, but the um, 2023 20 books I enjoyed, as you mentioned, Kickstarter. Also, I went to sessions on print book sales. I went to, as well as spoke at, sessions on AI uh, and those types of things. And so I feel like there was definitely enough. And like you said, I mean, I've been doing this 15 years now, but what I'm learning, I'm learning from people who've been doing things differently. And I think that's what I valued a lot of about. Uh, but I did want to ask you specifically on the AI side, will there be sessions? I mean, it's very hard to say because it's a while away and things change every week, but will AI be incorporated into the various tracks? Or because I know some people are AI positive, most of my listeners are, but some people were, uh, are not. Sure. So before I get into that topic specifically, let me touch on some, one of the other things that we've changed is we have a professional conduct committee that's head, headed up by Nora Phoenix. And we have a, a diverse team there that's really helping us to guide the community in professional conduct. And why I bring this up now is that's also for our speakers as well. It's not just like authors need to understand that this isn't summer camp. You're coming to a professional conference where you're representing your brand and you're hanging out with other people that are representing their brand. When speakers come, they need to understand that they're there to help the community think through ideas. And so they should be prepared to as easily argue the opposing viewpoint as to the one that they hold. 
they should be able to think about this and how are they helping the community become better and make wiser choices, not necessarily focus on owning somebody else on the panel, right? So I say that because we are going to continue to address controversial issues and we want to be the place where people can come and get the straight dope pros and cons on everything, because that's the reality of it, right? You should be thinking if you are looking at going on Kickstarter, what's the pros and cons? If you're looking at subscriptions as a, a methodology, what's the pros and cons? If you're thinking of integrating AI into your business, what's the pros and cons, right? And I think that when you start doing that, then from our perspective, Author Nation doesn't endorse or oppose any particular thing. We're just got to be a place for civil discourse. Yeah, so I like that. That's a long way of saying, yeah, we're going to we're going to take on a lot of issues. <laughs> yeah, and I mean it, we have to because of course in a sort of November 2024, goodness knows where we're going to be in terms of a lot of these things and how the industry's changed. Like you said, we're in a transition, we're in a disruption, and I'm finding I'm changing so much about my business. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Now I yeah. did also as we haven't got too much time left, I I want to address the fact that it is in Las Vegas <laughs> because <laughs> I mean I I hesitated to come because the city is a it's a difficult city for mostly introverted quiet book people <laughs> so i wondered what are your tips on surviving vegas as a city and i, I think you thought this way at some point as well <laughs> yeah I, so I, i'm kind of the opposite in the sense of i used to spend a lot of time in las vegas and it wore me out <laughs> and i was like again i'm never coming back here again and now i'm gonna run a conference there so first off, for the next three years, um, it is going to contractually remain in Las Vegas. So the show will be there. How we go forward beyond that, we haven't really thought about yet. I do believe that Vegas is, for a lot of people, a great destination city because it's easy to get into. It's um, Air travel's low, low cost and has a lot of connecting flights. So it's one of the c- cities in the United States that can be easy for everybody to get to. Now, to your point about introverted folks, I think that first off, this conference anywhere could be overwhelming for folks because we had 1,860 people mm. there. There's a lot of people, right? It's it's scaled up. So I think there are some things that if you're introverted, you just need to be prepared for a little bit of FOMO missing out on some things for the sake of recharging when you need to recharge. So I think it's important for, like, I know a lot of people that they're introverted where they, while they're engaged in the community, they're on and you wouldn't think that they are introverted, but they just need that time to, to chill and recharge the batteries. So one thing we are going to do is we're going to continue to record the show, the episodes, the sessions. So, if you do decide to go back to your room and just chill, you'll be able to get those and watch them later. We're going to have writing space. I think a really good place for most authors to go recharge at the conference will be to kind of get out of the fray and get into a quiet space where they can put some words down, even if those words are just going through their notes and kind of consolidating their thinking around what they've just been exposed to at the conference. But I, I think the other thing that we really have to think about is, is that 
success is in an uncomfortable place. This isn't going to be easy for a lot of people. And it shouldn't be because great things come out of that uncomfortability. So like you challenging yourself to go to a conference like this and it not being something that is your status quo helps you to become the person you want to be, right? And build that network. And the beautiful thing about it is, is when you go there and you start connecting with people, like we're all self-centered, right? We are all coming from our own point of view. Pretty much everybody in that room's self-conscious and thinking everyone's looking at them, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not, we're all thinking about ourselves. We're not thinking about the other. So just embracing that, that you're in a safe place and that you're going to be with your tribe and they're going to help and stay more focused on the conference. I mean, Vegas, if that's not your vibe, then just, you can steer clear for, of it. Like you can come get in an Uber, go to the hotel, stay in that hotel, never leave. Just go to those conference sessions and hang out with your people. Now, if you, you do want to get outside of the place, like it's a pretty raucous environment. Like that's how it is. So I, I hope that answered your question. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's just good to say, like you said, success is often outside our comfort zone. And I certainly, I had a pretty intense week, like, like everybody else. And yet it was super worth it for me to come to 20 Books Vegas. I will absolutely be at Author Nation unless obviously something happens <laughs> that prevents me. But yeah, I'm absolutely intending to come. And I feel like, especially for, from the UK and Europe and other countries, people do travel from all around the world. I mean, it is obviously it's in the US, so it is a bit cheaper for people in the US, but it was worth it for me. So yeah, why don't you tell people where they can find out any more, where they can sign up, where they can get tickets? And also if they want to speak, is there a process for that? Sure. So there's a couple links. If you're just an author that wants to know when tickets go on, first off, tickets go on sale January 6th at 9 a.m. Central. Go to Author Nation Live. So that's authornation.live. And if tickets are open, you can sign up for tickets because there'll be the sales page there. If not, there'll be a form for you to sign up and get more information, which will send you an email about when tickets release. For those that are looking to participate in the show, either as a speaker or want to volunteer, any of that other stuff, there's a different site called authorventuresllc.com. Go there and there's a whole series of links you can go to to fill out a form either to suggest yourself as a speaker, suggest somebody else as a speaker, to sign up as a volunteer. We have a pretty robust community of people that that are helping us to run this thing. It takes a lot to make the show go off. So there's all kinds of opportunities for you to help out with the show as well. Brilliant. Well, I just checked and the tickets will be available (laughs) when this goes out. And uh, so people can go over there and have a look. Well, thanks so much for your time, Joe. That was great. And I will see you in Vegas. See you there. So I hope you found this episode interesting and that you have some questions to consider around your own author business. One of the things Joe said was, when you decide you're going to do something, you have to understand the ramifications of that decision. 
And this is so important. So if you look at other authors or other people and say, oh, I want what they have or what that career is like, well, look at the ramifications of their choices and what the rest of their life is like. Do you want the whole package? You can't just pick and choose bits and bobs. (laughs) So also on Author Nation, I am intending to be there. I may even have my ticket by the time this goes out. So perhaps I will see you there. And we are intending to have a uh, Patreon patron meetup uh, like we did last year, which was fun. So as ever, you can leave a message uh, on the show notes at thecreativepen.com or a comment uh, on the YouTube channel, or you can email me, joanna at thecreativepen.com. And remember, you can also come and join us in the community at patreon.com forward slash thecreativepen. Next week, it's back to writing craft. And I'm talking about writing unique and compelling characters with Barbara Nicholas. In the meantime, happy writing, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.